Hello, my name is Ken, and I want to welcome you back to Deep Water. This podcast is brought to you by Applied Strengths Ministry, where we believe working together in our strengths is the effect of working out the will and calling of God in our lives. The title of this message is, Was Jesus Above the Law? Now, I'm sure we have some theologianites who can pop out an answer quicker than I can say theologianites, but then this message would be for the rest of us. Sometimes I enjoy it when God broadens my current view of him. Actually, I enjoy it all the time. Just when I think I have him somewhat figured out, or at least feel like I understand him from time to time, insofar as what he is saying and or doing, he throws me a curveball. In this message, it is not so much a message about how you should do so-and-so, but that you can see that through your journey with God, he will leave Easter eggs. Little things that stop you and cause you to wonder what he is saying or what he is doing or how he could say such and such a thing in apparent contradiction to what he has already said. Sometimes it even appears as though he has crossed his own lines, the very lines he set up. But I say there must be more to it, so let's wrestle with God and see him just a little bit deeper. Exodus 20, 8, 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Clear, right? Do no work. Exodus 23:12. Six days you shall do your work. And on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. This scripture explains why we should do no work, to be rested and refreshed, that our living tools also be rested as well, right? In Deuteronomy, we see more law. Deuteronomy 15, 14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. This one contains both the command and the reason for the command. Again, we are to do no work, thus allowing rest. Everywhere rest. Here rest, there rest, everywhere rest, rest. (laughs) Sorry about that. A side note is how funny we are to back then, and maybe even today, to ask God, well, what is work? How would you define it? It seems like a legitimate question until you see the motivation behind it. But we won't go there right now. So we have no working on the Sabbath. What else? Leviticus 20.10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. I always like to decom words to be sure we fully understand what is being said in the passage. Adultery, voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than their lawful spouse. Clear, right? Mark 2, 23, 28. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisee said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now go back to what I said earlier about work. 
The Pharisees had divine work as getting something to eat. I do not believe that this was God's intention at all in the context of this scripture. When God clearly did not want his people to do something specific, he told them, right? Exodus 16, 23 And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains, to be kept until morning. Clear here? Now that was for those who were journeying to the promised land. In other words, it was for those who were currently in the wilderness. Was it not a test of obedience? Back to Mark 2, 28 In verse 25 it states, But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. 1 Samuel 21, 1-6 So now this is where I needed to look up why the Pharisees said what they said. And yes, I see that they refer to the Sabbath, but in looking it up in a study Bible, it stated another reason, not intentionally, but nonetheless. So now this may also be a good time to also let you in on a little secret, which is that when you read the study Bibles and her Bibles with notes and commentary, you should be aware that it is not considered scripture. However, it can be helpful as long as it is accurately reflecting the purpose and intent of the scripture. In other words, point blank, some Bibles contain notes that are incorrect. This doesn't mean you shouldn't have them or use them. It does, however, mean that you should really pay attention to what the notes are saying and compare them to actual scripture. So we see in the next scripture, which is supposed to support my message, has actually presented me an opportunity to share with you the cautionary tale regarding study Bibles. Now, the scripture is referenced to support the Pharisees' line of thinking. But as we can see, the opposite is true. This doesn't say, don't do it on the Sabbath. This just says, when you do, this is how you do it. Deuteronomy 23, 24, 25. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put any in your container. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So look at Mark again and see how it is specific to the Sabbath. Mark 2, 23, 28. Now it happened that as he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So let's go back to where the Pharisees may have gotten the idea that what the disciples were doing was spiritually illegal. Exodus 16:22-23. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So like many religions do today, these guys took a God instruction that was specific to the peeps in the wilderness, who were constantly being tested by God on purpose, and also specific to the food that they were collecting, 
that is manna, and brought it forward into the culture of their day. So really, is this about works, food, following the law, or obedience to God? So now we see there is some confusion about what constitutes work. So the peeps at that time and the times afterward defined by interpretation, not revelation, what it is to work. So as many do today, missing the whole point of the Sabbath, which we will get into in a minute, they prepare their Sabbath meal a day early so that they do no work on the Sabbath. Now, in my personal experience and observation, you should not eat some meats as it takes quite a bit of work to gnaw it down to swallowable pieces. Nor should you give your dog a Kong filled with peanut butter because surely that is a Sabbath breaker given the effort the dog will have to make to extract all of the peanut butter. So we see in the following scripture that Jesus redefined the Sabbath right on the spot. It could also be said that this was the intended meaning from God from the beginning, given God never changes, right? Verse 27, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now what is interesting in this scripture is Jesus' statement is also. I had to look up what that meant, so I went right back to my flawed study Bible for some help. Okay, so I'm back. So what I found is that it stated in its notes applying to verse 27 is, the force of the argument is this, the Sabbath was made on account of man, not man on account of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. It was meant to point to the spiritual rest, which would come in Christ. So can we work on the Sabbath? Yes, but it should be a spiritual or ministry work. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you have never worked in a church setting on a Sunday, then I can see how you might be at a loss for understanding. Prepping a Sunday show is a lot of work, and many of us who did this also had full-time jobs and families. Should you rest? Yes, and in Christ, rest can come supernaturally, but not always. Sometimes it is good to do nothing. Okay, back to the paved road. We had a law which was in place, and then Jesus came along and clarified its original intent. There is nothing more sure to make a man uncomfortable than to be corrected on his religion. Oh, the trickery of men. What is so wrong with us that we have to find a way to be right when proven that we are wrong? John 8, 3, 11. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman, caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So two things before moving on. The woman was committing adultery with herself? Nope. Where is the man? This leads me to believe that they were either in such a hurry to catch Jesus in their trap, and forgetting to bring the man along, or or they had something against this particular woman and thought that Jesus might rid them of the problem. Maybe she had a black book. Anyway, the second thing is that the law that they were quoting, they were misquoting, or they did not know what it said in its entirety. Leviticus 20.10 The man who commits adultery with another man's wife he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. I think when Jesus bent to the ground in response to their error-filled talk, he was thinking he should start a school to teach reading. 
So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. You could miss that in verse 9, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Yes, little kidlings, for some reason it takes a young man a longer time to humble himself than an old one. I think that's just life. What? Now, even though the Pharisees clearly showed a bias against women, they were correct in what the law stated. Yes, I know they forgot the man on the bed. So, but so, right here, he comes up with the most profound prophetic statement ever a man could come up with in a test. Wait, Jesus, the law doesn't let anyone off the hook, nor does it state that I must first consider my position or state of sin being before enacting the consequences of the broken law on the one who broke it. Why, I am a Pharisee. It's my job to find fault. Okay, so they didn't say it. So in my experience with modern-day Pharisees, it is how they thought, thooked, and thanked. So we see again Jesus taking it upon himself to reorder, if you will, the law priorities. I think I will try this next time I get a speeding ticket. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now this little chat session must break the hard-hearted to pieces. He finally gets a right response from the Pharisees in that they could not condemn her because they too were sinners. Enforcing the law had all but left their little minds. But now, see how Jesus responded to a sinner caught in a very act of sinning? Neither do I condemn you. I must say this is the way of the authentic church that is equipping the saints for the work of ministry and making disciples that remain. If your sin condemns you, it is enough. Okay, so now we move to the next thing he says, which, as I am sure you guessed it, is covered more comprehensively in another message. And that is his statement, go and sin no more. Now, had he stated this to me when I first got saved, I would have had to have gotten in the confessionary line a thousand times to chat about committing the same sin over and over. I would have asked him if he was out of his mind to play such a task before a sinful man. How on the brown surface of Mars are we to walk totally away from sin and be perfect or sinless? Well, so, I just thought I would point it out. Check out my message on this and be amazed at the possibilities in Christ. By the way, Reinhard Bonnke taught on this scripture, stating that Jesus avoided breaking the law by speaking to her as if he were already crucified and as if she were already forgiven and covered in his blood. Peter gives us some insight into this line of thinking, which I think supports the idea. 1 Peter 1.20 He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. I know, right? Take up your bed. John 5.1.12 After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate of Pool which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. 
For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Then immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was a Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now clearly we have these same like-minded people alive and well in today's churches. I think they are called disciple police. Who told you? Ha! But Jesus had a way of stirring it up, didn't he? He knew their buttons and was intentionally pushing them. I would also go so far as to say that in part, he did this to provoke them to eventually murder him. In their fleshly response to him, they in fact would eventually kill him. I guess you could ask, do you have to provoke a murderer to kill? You see, now we get to the message on CD seedlings, where we talk about the children of God and the children of Satan, to which Cain was his first child. But no, you must stay on this paved road, Ken. Luke 13, 11, 16. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. I guess they would have also been correct to tell Jesus to pray for her the day before the Sabbath. This way, if he felt she should be healed, the anointing for it would have left his body on Saturday and not on the Sabbath. But I say this to be and to sound as ridiculous as they did. What happened to compassion and empathy for those who were sick in the day of no insurance, no medicine, or readily available doctors or hospitals. You see, a religious person always puts law ahead of human relationships, which is why Jesus had all of the work a God-man could handle set before him. Where is the shock and awe in the moment whereby two people sick for a combined 56 years were instantly healed? I bet if one of the Pharisees came up lame or sick, they would have appreciated the healing, even in church, on any given Sunday. This doesn't need me to bring to correction the history of these events. Jesus was all over it. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? So again we see Jesus breaking the law, or so we think, putting human needs above the law. So now these are just a few examples of Jesus breaking the understanding of what the law was designed for in that day. I wonder if he understood the reaction he would receive, breaking with the traditions of men, to establish a kingdom that will place humans above the written law. 
History tells us that we don't like other people or God messing around with our laws and rules, regardless of their origin and impact on the human race. Matthew 5.17 Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Well, that's it for today. Hopefully we learned something and received some revelation as we ought to in our seeking to know God more. Remember, it's not what you find wrong or disagree with regarding these messages, but what you can take away from it. Together we can do more to impact the kingdom than if we work alone. Let's flip the script and kill, still, and destroy the works of the enemy and create space for the light of lights to shine through into people's lives. Plant a seed and click on the like and subscribe button. Let's build this ministry together. Thanks and see you next time in Deep Water.